You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Evening, Mr. Monson. You understand you're trespassing right now, right? I have an easement with the previous owner of your property. <laughs> previous being the operative word. Who's this? Just a guy telling you to get back in your nice truck and go play Okie Dickhead somewhere else. Hey, Carl. It looks like Mr. Monson hired some muscle. Looks that way. He's a friend of mine. Friend with a big mouth. I hear that a lot. And you probably hear this too. More than I'd like. And you know the drill. I'm gonna count to three. And you're gonna start walking away. I got rights to this one. One. I have a lawyer now. Two. Three. Ah, ah. Yeah, boss. You know the drill. Get the hell out of here. Welcome, everybody, to the 602 Club, Trek FM's general geek show. Just ecstatic to be here tonight. We have a, an incredible film to talk about. That's right. I'm already ruining it. Uh, I mean, I don't think that anybody going to see this movie this last weekend came out of it thinking, eh, it's okay. Like, I haven't heard that from anybody. So I'm I'm just so excited to be here. If you, if you haven't realized, we're going to be talking about Logan and I have back with me the one, the talented, the beautiful, carrying her own child, <laughs> Megan Calcote. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back and talk about one of my all-time favorite mutants. Yeah. How did the baby like it? That's the big question. Everybody wants to know, how did the baby like it? <laughs> She's actually pretty quiet. She didn't, she was not <laughs> kicking around. Um, and we had gone to see John Wick not too long ago. Oh, and, really? Uh, the uh the sound editing on that for the gun sound effects that sound effect was so loud um and so it was making her really jump around yeah um, but this movie's a little bit calmer um I mean it's intense but it's not quite as loud as John Wick so I I think that had something to do with it uh you know <laughs> funny story on that so my wife and I went and saw Logan the first night on Thursday in Dolby Atmos oh that which- would have been great. I, you know, I, I've never really, uh, this was the first movie where I could really tell a difference. And so I went and saw it in Atmos and then I went and saw it in an IMAX theater, both great presentations. But when she throws that pipe at that guy's head and the sound effect that they chose is the same sound effect. I don't know if you've ever been hit in the head with something, but that same sound. And so in the Dolby Atmos, it made you feel as though you got hit in the head with a pipe. Wow. Because of the way that they edited the sound. And it didn't have quite the same effect in another theater without the Dolby Atmos sound to it. So those people at Dolby Atmos, they know what they're doing. Uh, You can send your check to Matthew Rushing. (laughs) I'm I'm not being paid by Dolby Atmos. I'm just saying it actually made a difference, the sound quality. It was incredible because I felt like I'd been hit in the head. That's great. Yeah, I mean, you get a good sound editor that really understands how that Atmos works and how to utilize it to its fullest. And it can really just make such a big difference. And there, uh, our go-to theater that's really close to our house just does not have um, the Atmos built into it. And I, I don't know if it'll ever get it because it's kind of a ghetto theater. Um, so we have to go kind of, well, I mean, we live in Phoenix, so it's not like it's a super inconvenient, but you know, being homebodies, we don't want to have to drive the 20 minutes to get to the theater that has the Atmos because <laughs> <laughs> we're so lazy, but it might be worth it. I, I really want to go see this again. So maybe I'll, I'll take the time out of my day to drive a little bit further just to get the Atmos experience. It, it, it might be worth it. I mean, just to see if you notice a difference specifically in oh, that I'm spot. Sure. I mean, being an audiophile, right? Like we do podcasts, so we yes, listen to yeah. stuff all the time. We we know what to listen for. And I was just so shocked because I legitimately in that scene, I just felt like I had been bonked in the head because That's the awesome. sound 
and the the vibrations of the bass and everything made it feel like that sound you hear in your head when you're hit on the head with something. Yeah. Or when you hit your head on something. Yeah. You know, it just, it was, oh my gosh, it was that perfect. So it, uh, we, we haven't even gotten into the movie yet. A uh, <laughs> couple of things before we dive in and we give the spoiler warning. You can find all the shows here on Trek FM on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. Uh, we're a feature provider there. I hope you'll check us out. While you're there, hit the 602 Club up with a star rating and review. Uh, it does help the show grow. I really appreciate everybody who's gone there and done that already. And gosh, we are, uh, uh, well, according to the ratings, we are a five-star podcast. So thank you so much. Uh, it means a lot to me that that uh, everybody who's gone there, that's been the rating they've given. Uh, I encourage you to go give you whatever rating you think the show deserves. So hit that up. We're on Twitter at Trek FM. Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find us online on our website at trek.fm. If you would like to interact with any of the listeners, we have a listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. Now, if you're at the website, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars. That'll bring you over there. If you're on Facebook, just type Babel in the search field on Facebook and you'll find us. Uh, and last but not least, if you would like to just send us an email because you've got some long form you want to share, go to trek.fm slash choose the show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and any of the hosts that are on that week. So we're going to give a spoiler warning right now. As we do with all the movies we talk about, we're going to spoil it rotten. And really, this this movie, uh, I think we need to kind of start there because there's a lot of setup. Uh, the movie just kind of starts. Uh, and, and actually, the uh, director, James Mangold, had said that he originally had had planned to have a opening scene that let us know kind of why we were where we were, basically what happened with Charles at Westchester and the mansion. And they cut that out to give the movie this feel where that always lurks in the background, but it's not specifically shown on screen. And so I wanted to kind of talk through this because uh, there's a lot around that, Megan, kind of the state of the mutant. And yeah. it's very different than any other movie that we've ever seen with the X-Men. The, the population of mutants is almost gone. Charles and Logan and Caliban seem to be like some of the few that are left. And we're left with this sense of trying to figure out why this happened and, and what happened to the rest of the X-Men. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm actually glad that they left. They kind of left it mysterious for the whole film. Um, I mean, there there is a, a scene, you know, towards the end of the second act where we get a small sense of what might have happened, but it's never explicitly spelled out for us. And I kind of like that. I like that kind of air of mystery because I think it feeds into Logan's character a lot. Um, and this whole world that we're inhabiting is just, it's just so interesting and, and mysterious because we don't know quite what's happened and why... Charles is being locked away in an old water tower and why Logan is so mad at him after we had just recently seen their relationship kind of blossoming and, and being in a good place in uh, Days of Future Past, or at least it kind of felt like it was in a good place, right? It was very encouraging, yeah. uh, kind of father, fatherly between the two of them, which is always kind of interesting. Well, Logan had seemed to kind of turn that corner yeah. and really be... The full on, he, I mean, he is yeah. the hero of that movie. Without him, they would have all died completely. So, yeah. And the way that he speaks to young Charles and the way that mirrors how uh, Charles spoke to him when they first met in the very first Brian Singer movie. So that had kind of come full circle. And now we've taken a completely different turn in their relationship. And like, how does it go so, like, why is it so sour? And, I love all of the questions that you're asking about the story as the viewer because of how Mangold decided not to give that away. Have you ever read the original Old Man Logan comic yeah. series that they did? Okay. Yeah, uh, more than once. And uh, my old podcast, Educating Geeks, we actually covered it, uh, I think, in 2015. 
Um, it's one of my all-time favorite comic book runs that I've ever read because it's so, it's just out there. It's something that's totally unique and totally different and mm -hmm. very Western. And that's one of the things yeah. I love about it because um, they really drew on visuals from movies like Unforgiven, which I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, so on that question, in the comic, Logan is mind-controlled by a supervillain mm -hmm. to destroy all the X-Men, basically, but thinking he's fighting villains. Right. So he thinks he's doing good, so he's just completely broken by that experience. And in in the movie, we get a sense that obviously something happened with Charles. He had some sort of meltdown. And we hear on the radio that, you know, six, over 600 people were injured, seven mutants or more were killed in the mansion. And so my question became to you, do you think that Mangold was implying a combination between the comic book and then his version where maybe Charles had had something happen and he was mind controlling Logan who kills? Mm. And that's why Logan was so upset at Charles? But at the same time, is trying to say, I mean, I, I'm wondering if, if you pulled that out or if you just thought it was just Charles had a episode that, you know, ended up killing people and Logan was finally able to get him away. Yeah, um, I definitely took away from it that it was just Charles, um, at least, you know, in that that scene is so short. Right. And he's still so kind of out of it. It's it's hard to know exactly. Um, but I took from it that it was all Charles. And given the way that the Brian Singer universe has um, evolved, I, I'm going to be a terrible geek here. I can't remember which movie it is where he's targeting like all the humans in the world with Cerebro and tries two. to kill. I just watched two, you. yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. I just didn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, you know, that's some, so we know he can do that, right? Um, that time it was, was, was with Cerebro's help. Um, but he is so powerful that he can target, you know, entire swaths of the population. And so because of that Brian Singer movie franchise history and because of how his powers have been malfunctioning in this movie, um, I just kind of took away from it that it was all Charles. It was interesting because I, I read it with the combination and that made a really interesting reading of the movie for me with mm. Logan because... What it made Logan was this man who had been forced to do something awful but couldn't really blame Charles because it wasn't his fault, you know, so he's caught in that place and that's one of the reasons there was such an anger there. Right. Uh, because, and to me, I mean, again, I think this is all speculation and, and you can read it either way and I think it's completely yeah, valid. I think you can. And I think that was one of the things that I liked about the film is is because you can see it from both sides. But I liked that reading because it it added to the it almost added to the saint like nature of of uh, Logan in this film. He's kind of a well, I'm not going to say it, but a jerk. Uh, but you uh, to to everybody around him. But when I when I read it like that. It made a little bit more sense why he was he was so hard up, like he, why he yeah. was so frustrated, so despondent, so lost uh, in a sense. And it also made more sense of why he would want to take Charles out into the ocean, oh, okay, because he would want him away from everyone, mm -hmm. uh, because he never knew when he wasn't going to be able to control that, right? And so, um. I don't know, and and then of course it 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 leads to that thing you get in the comic with Logan l knowing that he's also in some ways responsible, not really responsible, but he feels responsible for the loss of the people that he loves, right? And so, but I think this whole thing creates a wonderful sense of otherworldliness for these mutants, yeah, and a real despondency and a real, it is just dour 
yeah you know that like is a great word and 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 and, and, and when we say that about a comic book movie and and everybody said that about batman v superman and you know whatever uh i don't i don't agree with them at all in that sense because i think that there's a place for that in the storytelling uh, especially when you have characters going through such pivotal things and 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 i think it's a huge compliment to this movie to be able to to use this and make it an enjoyable experience to watch to find this character find a way out you know like this whole movie is him finding a way out but you have to start in the mire in the muck you know at the bottom of the barrel and that's where they start this film i mean it's it's in the back end of nowhere outside you know of el paso on the other side of the border where they're hiding out and it's i mean it's just not pretty the state of the mutant no, it's 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 not, and um, and Logan is just so completely broken. Like we got to see him pretty broken in the Wolverine that we were talking about last time because he had just killed Gene. Um, but now, having completely lost everybody, he's just gone so far over that the deep end because of that. Um, and he just clearly just does not care anymore. And I I just love the way that Hugh Jackman portrayed all of that. That's interesting you say that uh, because I don't know if he doesn't care anymore. I think he wants to not care, but yeah, he still cares and that pisses him off. And that's like, why he's got to numb himself so much. Mm-hmm. Well, and then on top of that, I mean, we we have with Logan in the state of himself. I yeah. mean, not just the state of mutants, but the state of himself. He's sick. Yeah. That, you know, after so many years now with the animantium, it's begun to poison him. And this is where the conversation that we had at the end last time, I think, actually really comes into play because... Obviously, this isn't played out in the comics at all, that Logan gets sick from the animantium, but I think this comes directly from what James Mangold did with the Wolverine and then with what they did with Days of Future Past, where Logan's abilities have been so far stretched that uh, his system has allowed itself to... Not allowed itself, but it can't repair itself anymore. Like yeah. it's it's beginning to break down. His mutation is is beginning to uh, not work anymore, which is self-healing. But I think that only makes sense in this universe where he's almost gotten his regenerative power stolen from him in the Wolverine. He almost dies uh, in Days of Future Past trying to keep himself together so that he can save the whole, you know, future uh, and and you put that together and it makes sense why you are where we are now. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I actually like, I really like the addition of that too because like you said, it makes sense for this universe, which, and, and this this version in particular feels the most grounded and the most human, I think out of any of the X-Men movies and really out of, I think any superhero movie that I I can really think of because he he doesn't fly around, right? He, his powers are d- certainly fantastic, right? Like the super healing is extremely fantastic. But having that breakdown on him and how ha- and like he did in the Wolverine have to face all this pain and injury that he never had to face before. Um he's at his most human than he's ever been in any of the movies um, because of him being sick and because of his emotional state and because of his powers not working the way that they used to. Well, and I think that's one of the things that and I love that you bring that up because it's it's an important point to the film and it's definitely way different than the comic was because Logan oh, yeah. comes back in the old man Logan comic and just legitimately kicks ass like nobody can beat him. Uh, even a bunch of Hulks, yeah. you know, Hulk's kids and stuff like that. I mean, he just, he's unstoppable force. And what makes it interesting, I think, in this movie is, I think, to move to a, um, a section, it's not in the outline, but it really fits here, I think. He comes to the mirror and sees his reflection. And that reflection is X-24, 
Yeah. Who we get in this film. And what's so interesting is that Logan, as you were saying, I think this fits perfectly, is that that in that mirror darkly, Logan literally comes face to face with who he used to be and experiences the pain that he caused everybody else. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the movie is is watching this character have to experience what he's given to everybody else all of these years and never had to worry about. It's fascinating to see them bring the character to this point where this kind of newer version in, in some ways of Logan who's who's still the hero, who's still even though he doesn't want to, he can't stop himself from doing the right thing, come face to face with the killing machine that he was made to be in the beginning and also have to experience that pain. I I think that's a really interesting, very deep, and in some ways very spiritual idea too. Yeah. Like it's like they went deep dive in this movie. Yeah, well, and also that X-24... Um, is really what he could have become. It's what he would have been if he had never escaped from Alkali in the first place, right? So it's not only facing who he had been, but what his whole existence would have been like had he not been able to break away in the first place. What I, I, I like about that is... I do like that kind of spiritual side of the person who has found a way to be better having to face his those inner demons that could and, and and what's interesting is we watch that plague Logan even throughout the movie. You know, uh the the yeah. feelings of inadequacy, the feelings uh coming back for all the things that he has been responsible for. He talks about that with Laura. You know, uh you know, even if you kill bad people, you still have to live with that. Yeah. Uh and this this whole idea this whole spiritual sense and then it all ends for him and you know obviously we gave spoilers so (laughs) but it all ends for him by being sacrificed on a tree to save you know the kids the innocent the the ones he he wants to find a way to inspire to be better you know and i think that's again the fact that a superhero movie can give you such depth and and make you think and feel and connect with, you know, something so much larger, I think is is just brilliant stuff. James Mangold uh just rocketed it's great up in work, the church. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's great work. It really oh, is. Oh gosh. Um gosh, there's there's so much here and it just kind of keeps going. And and one of the, the, the interesting things on top of where are the mutants are, and of course what we get with X-24 comes down to an interesting theme that Logan brings up with Charles when they're having that conversation about why there aren't any mutants over the last 25 years. And Logan wonders, you know, he says to Charles, I used to think we were God's gift, but now I think we're just God's mistake. Mm. And... Firstly, I mean, that is that is quintessential. I think anybody who's ever been somebody of faith, there are moments where you feel like fully in it, you know, like fully committed, fully. And then there are other moments you just feel like the world's worst failure and worst mistake and like, you know, nobody can love me, you know. And I, I love Logan being in this place where he's just, I used to think we were, something special and helpful and we were meant to be there for people and now I just I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't really know how I can elaborate on that any further because it, I think you just hit the nail on the head there because especially with the loss of everything and the fact that no new mutants have been born um, which, you know, takes from another of the really big uh, Marvel storylines that you get in the comic books. So I really love the way Mangold folded in a whole bunch of popular storylines here. But yeah, I mean, that would completely make me question my entire existence. And 
I, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head there. I really, I don't know how to elaborate on that any further, Matthew, because it's perfect. Well, but what did you think about what we learn about why there hadn't been mutants the way they had before? Because it's not God, is it God's mistake or is it human arrogance? And to me, that was the thing that turned out to be so fascinating as to the human intervention. And, and basically it was like, it seemed to me the theme was the human intervention in ruining what, the thing that God had made. Mm. Well, that's interesting. I don't even think I looked at it from, I had kind of made that connection in my head. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of scientific perversion happening in the natural state of things, right? Um, which is a, a whole other, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Matthew. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think that's, I, I really do. I, I think it's it's okay because to me, it was just something that stuck out. Yeah. That, you know, when when he asked that question, obviously we don't know this other information that Xander Rice and his group have been manipulating the mutant population uh, through the food and watery drinks so they can control it and basically grow the mutants and bend them to their will. Holy crap. Did I miss a scene? I did have to go to the bathroom. You know, uh, being pregnant, you can't sit through a whole movie anymore. I did have to get up. I wonder if I missed that scene. It could be. I must have missed that scene. Yeah. So Xander is explaining to Logan why there haven't been, quote unquote, mutants in the way that, you know, like where they went. And it's that this group basically has been manipulating the food we eat, the sugary drinks we drink, all of that that stuff. That's where, and that's why uh, Canewood, the the corn company, uh, they have that conversation when they go to fix the pump. It all becomes very important because they're using all of this to control the mutant population and basically grow mutants so that they can bend them to their will. Oh, yeah. I, that's totally my potty break. (laughs) I completely missed that scene. Stupid pregnancy, stupid baby. No, I love, (laughs) totally worth it. Um, and see, and that was part of the reason why I really wanted to go see it a second time before we sat down to talk and, you know, life being life. Yes. Because you got to take a different, ladies out there who have been through this, totally get it. Like, you have to see it twice so you can take a different bathroom break. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see what you missed last time. So thank you. Now I know the answer to that because I I completely missed that scene. I had no idea. That changes several things for me. (laughs) Well, and it it makes for, I I think what it it does is it makes for that interesting question of, you know, human stewardship with the world around us and and, and, and how we deal with, you know, uh, the food we eat, the uh, human beings in general, all of that. I think it's so fascinating because to to take and say that we're making something better, but are we really making it better if it was, you know, I mean, in the, in the question in the movie basically if it's being is- being used are we, for manipulative reasons. Right, yeah. right, right. And I mean, obviously Logan, ha- and, and there's this whole sense of spirituality throughout all of the uh, X-Men movies. Uh, you know, even in I was just watching X two last night, and Nightcrawler is uh, definitely I a believer. Him. He's Catholic. You know, yes. uh, you you know, and so, but there's this whole sense of spirituality through all of these films, and here it 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 was just, you know, what are we, what have humans done? What have human arrogance done to destroy something that? Apparently, it it seemed like, you know, with all the mutants that we were getting was part of the plan, you know, and and now we're taking that plan and we're manipulating it awfully so we can turn these things into weapons because then... Because we need more weapons in this world, yeah, right? Yeah, not only, yes, exactly. <laughs> but the, 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 the scariest part about it was the way that they were using the children as weapons... And from conception to beyond, they had just thought of them as things. Yeah. So you could get rid of them whenever you wanted. It didn't matter. It 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 was given a number. It's not given a name. We dehumanize yeah. it. We don't get. We don't call it sweetie. We don't hug it. 
you know, in yeah, the complete devaluation of human life that um, they that they displayed uh, in this film is just is just so disgusting um, and so well done because it it really does it makes your skin crawl like the whole time you're watching those videos and um, I think it really helps you kind of feel for. Uh, Laura's mother and well the mother her mother character that helped her escape because you totally get it of of course someone is going to try and help rescue as many of these children as possible because at the end of the day they're children who deserve to live normal lives and shouldn't have been abused this way from the moment that they were conceived um so yeah I mean the human arrogance on display is is um, truly astounding. I think in this movie. Well, and 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 the scary part is that is the way in which that dehumanization happens all over the spectrum. So yeah. it happens with the the young women that are forced to give birth and just completely disappear. Like it sounds exactly. like they just killed those women. Yeah, you know. So so you're dehumanizing these women is just you know like. Handmaidens, tail. Yeah. They're they're kind of thing. incubators. Yeah, they're incubators. Yeah. Um, As and, a current incubator, that that really yeah, sucks yeah, exactly. Balls. Yeah. Well, and just treating that incubation. I mean, it, it's such a clinical process. Yeah. Uh, in, instead of the wondrous gift that conception and is and turning it, you know, I mean, it's like, and and then that that child from conception onward is just treated as a thing. Like yeah. we can. Do whatever we want with it. We can kill it whenever we want because it doesn't. It's it's just a thing, and it was. I don't know. Uh, to me, it was just kind of a really creepy and utterly scary thing because oh, yeah. there are certain aspects of culture where I see this happening, and it freaks me out because I don't really know if we're the, all that far away from these kind of things being okay in certain places in the world, and maybe more places than we'd like to think. I mean that I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> who uh, again? This movie it doesn't. Tu- it dive. touches on so many. It like does. It, it gets real deep. This movie it's a superhero movie, but man, <laughs> it's really digging in. Something you said earlier too. I mean, there's nothing all that super about it. No, you know, uh, you know, uh, we see these characters with these powers or whatever, but that's not what the film is about. This no. movie is about so much more than that. And I think you know one of the things that this really is is a celebration, if you can call it a celebration, of the character of Logan. Absolutely. And, you know, this whole idea of mutation that's been going throughout all of this, it's it's not just about the physical mutations that make these people, quote unquote, special. But it's about change. And can people really change? Can we be better than our nature? And Logan faces this question specifically as Charles reminds him many times in the film how much of a disappointment he is, even (laughs) though Charles, and this is why I read it the other way, is that Charles doesn't realize that he's responsible for what happened and what he did to Logan. Yeah. Until that scene where he's talking to X-24 instead of, Wolverine, mm. where he says, I remember what you wouldn't tell me, and I realize I don't deserve this beautiful evening. Yeah. Like that, that realization had come. And that's why I liked that reading that he had caused Wolverine to do it, because mm. it made Wolverine's sticking, and it made Logan sticking with Charles even more beautiful and even more powerful. Well, and that's why I like my reading. <laughs> well, there you go. See, that's what is, I love. Is and, because, and neither yeah. of us is wrong. And there, yeah, it, we're, neither one of us is wrong. But that's why I like my reading is because after he had recuperated, right, from all, all of the heartbreak that he felt in Wolverine and kind of gone back to being who he is, and then the the one man that he trusts and and reveres over any other you know, in my reading has gone and done this thing that he can't control either, right? Because it's clearly his powers aging as well that he can't control. And he probably hates his guts so much because of it. 
and still chooses to stick by him, that to me is what made the the reading that Charles is the sole cause of it so powerful. And, you know, on a personal level, um, I'm in the midst of a grandparent that's going through really severe deterioration with um, Alzheimer's, and this is the second time I've been through this. And to when you watch it happening to someone that you love, it's so difficult and frustrating because they become a person that they have never been in their lives. And they do things and they say things that they would never, ever have said in their right mind, and they definitely would never have meant either. So when... When Charles calls Logan a disappointment, that hits hard, that really hits home so hard because you know that he would never say that and mean that to Logan, but it's because he's deteriorating in such a severe way that it's the disease that's making him say these things. And it's not Charles anymore. He's become the disease. Yeah, and I think I think what's what I love is that the movie is open to the the interpretation yeah. either way, and in either and way adds work. different nuances. Yeah, yeah, and that's so cool that you could, I mean, legitimately, I've I can I can watch it the way you're thinking about it, and it's great. I can watch it the way I'm thinking about it. It's yeah. great, and, totally and either agree. way, I'm not losing something. You know, I think that's that is an incredible statement for a movie. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's also this I, I love this question though because Logan has spent his whole life fighting against his nature. Yeah. Who which he you can't is do. <laughs> deep inside. Yeah. I think what's so interesting is that I think by the end of the movie, Logan realizes he can embrace who he's been made to be. Yeah. And use that for good. Yeah. You know, that, that it's okay to embrace the Wolverine. Because he's been put here to protect others, you know, like that, that's, that's, I feel like he finally becomes okay with that in that last battle that this is what I'm here for and that's okay. Yeah. Well, and I think because we did the Wolverine so recently, we see him go through that very similar thing, right? We talked about that last time, how he was trying to fight his nature and not be who he was and ultimately gives into it. And decides it's okay. So that's the other part of his nature, right? Is to always be questioning who he who he is and always be fighting against it and always find a way to make peace with it. And we get to see that again and it gets more and more extreme every time it happens, I think. Um, and this is the most extreme and it ends. It He finally finds that peace and he's at peace when he finally dies. So we get to see him die, I think, in a way that he deserves and that he's worked so hard and earned, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, one of the things that's that's really interesting and, and for me, being who I am, it, it really reminded me of uh, something that you would hear the Apostle Paul say in, in Romans where he says, um, for I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Yeah. And and it's it's it it's Logan has spent his whole life in that loop. Yeah. And I I think it's it's kind of cool be, to to watch a character struggle with that because I think we all do that too. We yeah. find ourselves doing things we don't want to be doing. And I mean, we do the things we don't want to do and we do don't do the things we want to do and it's And it's just a constant pattern. I don't mind that we've seen this pattern with him multiple times because he's such a human character and because that's human Mm -hmm. nature. That is the human nature in a nutshell. I mean, we're always fighting. Like you said, we, we were fighting against our own nature constantly and we're constantly having to relearn the same lessons. That's part of whatever this experience is that we're having. That's just, that's just what we do as human beings on this earth. I think every single one of us has done that. And we'll continue to do it. <laughs> and I think what one, whatever reading you get, you know, Charles was the one who showed Logan a different way. Yeah. And then Charles deteriorates and can't. Yeah. And Logan has to deal with that of being the caregiver to the person who... He was his anchor. Exactly. And he lost it. Yeah. Exactly. And, what do you, and, and, and yet Logan... 
Even when he tries to run from it, he can't, and he still ends up doing what he knows is the right thing to do. And it was so sad because in this whole idea of can people change and mutation, you know, Logan, and I have felt like this before in my life, so it struck home that he feels like cancer in people's lives. You know, that bad S happens to people that I care about. Yeah. And that feeling, there is nothing like it in the world. Uh, And it is a heartbreaking feeling to feel. And you can understand why Logan learning that Laura is his daughter, he wants her as far away from him as possible. Yeah. Because he doesn't want that. I mean, because even Charles, like, he, he was close to Charles. Bad stuff happened. You know, it's like, that is a awful feeling. And probably because Charles seemed like the one person that would never change. Right. Right? And, and to see it happen, like, man, bad stuff really does happen to literally everyone I care about, even the people that I thought were completely bulletproof. So there's there's nothing in this world that I can hang on to and that I can completely rely on and know that it's not going to go completely bottom up. Mm-hmm. And then to have her show up, it's like, well, crap, this is <laughs> literally the worst thing that could happen, <laughs> right? I I totally get it. It got me, that that feeling. And because he was not an agent in her creation, right? It's not like he was with a woman and she resulted from, you know, him sleeping around or having a girlfriend or a relationship or something. part of his identity was literally stolen from him. And so that's like a completely different kind of mind job. And and he knows that she didn't ask for this, just like he didn't ask for any of the things that happened to him when he was an experiment. So there's just so many things that I can totally see him as a character just constantly juggling with when it comes to this young woman that he's responsible for, even though he never asked for and never would have asked for, but that he can identify with more than anyone he's ever been around before. Uh, yeah, when when Charles says, you know, she's like you. Yeah. So much like you. And the way he says it is just this heartbreak. Uh, and you can feel everything that Wolverine has been through and you've seen in the flashbacks and yeah. everything, especially, you know, if you, I just watched X2 and, they show the flashbacks of how he was created and all that. And you put that and you, with the video you saw of her and her life. Oh, and that life. was so heart-wrenching it, too. Uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was so good. I mean, it, it's just so spectacularly done. And so um, I wanted to talk uh, just a little bit about the characters with you. Uh, you know, obviously this being the last film for Hugh Jackman, I mean, I could you ask for a better way to end your career as the Wolverine than with, I'm going to call it, the best X-Men movie ever? Yeah, I, I, would, I would totally give it that rating uh, with, without hesitation. And I, I, I suspected going, I, I suspected pretty heavily going into it that since this was going to be his last hurrah, that this was how it was going to end. So I wasn't shocked by it. I had steeled myself for it. Um, and I thought it was great. It's just a phenomenal fa- farewell to the character. Well, and a great performance. Uh, when yeah. he is standing there and he's buried Professor X. and Oh, that was so hard to watch. And he, all he can get out is that there's water a couple of times. And he's so emotionally spent. Yeah. He doesn't have, I mean, he has, n- he has nothing to give. Uh, and and then of course he's beating the hell out of that truck because yeah. it won't start, and he's just letting his frustration out on it. The, the everything I mean, Hugh Jackman gives just a fantastic, I would say, uh, Oscar worthy at least nomination performance. He was he was phenomenal in this role. He just really he just totally embodied the character, and I mean it's just. I have nothing else to say except it was perfect. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and I think uh, Patrick Stewart also gave one of the so best performances good. I've ever seen. Uh, him playing that that frailty, but with the the 
last bit of dignity that he still has in the way he's still able to have moments of inspiring, uh, you know, Professor Exton, you know, uh, I think of this, the little speech he gives to Wolverine about, you know, this is what life is like. Yeah. You know, you should try and enjoy it for a moment, even though that whole scene, the moment they went to that house, my wife and I were like, oh, don't do that. This is They're not gonna good. They're going to die. Yeah. They're it's all going to die. Idea. <laughs> yeah, this is not a good. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, that the, 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 between those two, like I, Wolverine suspects that this might happen. Yeah. But he can't say no to Charles. And, and then, you know, he has to live with them. I mean, this family's dead because of that. I them. know, which is so horrible. Um, and, you know, they only would have been able to get away with that with this rated R uh, rating. They, yeah. they would not have been able to do that if they had kept it PG-13. Um, and, you know, I, I am not one for advocating murder or anything. Um, but I, I think that was... Well, that's good. Right? I mean, <laughs> but I think it was a hugely important part was to see the... Um, Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Just see how the carnage, the carnage, like, and the yeah. repercussions for those decisions can just go so can just mm-hmm. hit so far afield. Um, and it's not just the family; it's literally everybody that that whole property touched. Like all of the good old boys that had been in the fight with that family, they're all everyone's just gone. It's just complete destruction. And then just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying about. Um, Patrick Stewart's uh, portrayal as Professor X in this movie, I love that there are still as dark and hard to watch as this movie can be at times. There's still moments of humor and almost all of the humor is between Wolverine and, and the professor. Uh, and that's one of the things I love the most is those tiny little moments of humor that exist between the two of them. No, I I, I agree. They have some wonderful moments of just stressed levity yes. i guess you might want to say you know to the old men yeah yeah really is you it's know fun, it's great stuff it, it's it's like they're the two muppet old guys you know uh together you know when he's helping him in the bathroom he's like yeah. i can do it myself he's like believe me i'm not looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that's it's just so funny <laughs> and the way that they're snapping at each other in the in the truck i mean it's just mm-hmm. They're it's like just old married couple. They really are, and <laughs> and they should be right for how long they've been together and what yeah, they've been through together. True. So um, I love being able to see that part of their relationship. What did you think about the uh, two main villains, Xander Rice and Donald Pierce, uh, as as characters and just kind of foils for everything? Um. So Xander, let me see. I want to make sure I'm talking about the correct character here. Um, Dr. Rice, I thought was an interesting villain, but I think ultimately he becomes kind of a throwaway character. Um, even though he's the one behind all of this horrible, disgusting stuff that you and I have already talked about. Um, but then, um, I, you know, I don't know if I have ever seen, uh, Boyd Holbrook who plays Pierce in anything else have have you seen him anywhere i don't recall seeing him in anything but uh boy the guy plays the creepy white southern boy yeah real well he just like, like, it was super came out creepy. of nowhere i i remember looking him up previously and had not um had not seen oh he was in harvey he was in milk and he was in gone girl but i don't remember him at all in either one of those so this is definitely the first time I've seen that he's really stood out to me as an actor and man, he was like scene stealing almost. Yeah. I I mean, he just, he just creeped me out. He was just know? creepy. I love yeah. that gold tooth that they gave him. Too. Yeah, it was, it was really well done. I, I thought that he came off very creepily. I think both of the villains do the right job and what they need. And they are, supremely villainous in their actions. Yeah. And they're not the kind of villains where you think of as all-star, you know, that kind of thing in a superhero movie. Yeah. 
these are much more grounded villains. You know, yeah. the evil scientist who is manipulating all these things, you know, uh, and the henchman, you know, who is yeah. out to, to get. And I, uh, but, and I make that, I don't want that to sound as I am putting them down in any way. I think they are exactly what this movie needs and exactly what the the movie I think they're exactly where this movie needs them to go and who who they need them to be. Yeah. They have the right amount of energy. They're not caricatures. They don't feel campy. They they feel like real characters that exist in this universe whereas, you know, last time we were talking about the Wolverine and and some of the villain characters right. that yes. didn't feel like they belonged. Um, and this movie does not have that problem at all. Like, they really solved all. that between the last move, the last Wolverine movie and this one. So yeah, they're not they're not super oppressively part of the story, but I don't think they necessarily need to be either. No, they're kind of a lot like they have just a little bit more presence than the background story of what happened to Charles. Yeah, and with you know like. They're, they they have just enough to really move the story forward, and and I think it's fantastic. I, I really like the job that they do with both of them, and so I have no... I mean, it's just... I think what it is is that they work so well for the story. They're not necessarily standouts, yeah. but the themes that they give us and everything like we talked about, great stuff. They do so, their job really well. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, now, uh, a standout, in the film was Stephen Merchant as Caliban yes. because, man, the moment he came on screen, I was like, hey, I know that guy from The Office. Yeah, and I, you know, it took me a while to place him too. I didn't even realize that's who it was because, you know, he doesn't have any of the hair in anything and his Caliban makeup was great. Um, I really liked his chemistry with uh, Hugh Jackman as well. And... Also, it was really fun to get to see Caliban on screen because I never thought that any of the Morlocks would ever make it <laughs> to the silver screen because that's just such a weird corner of the X-Men story. Um, so I was I thought it was really cool that we got to hang out with Caliban for a little while. He's just such a good comedic actor. Yeah, great and comedy so it was, relief. Yeah, but he also was able to play the serious role, I thought, with Hugh Jackman really well, especially yeah. in the scene where he's talking about, he's like, you're not sleeping. You won't talk to me about that. Uh, you know, all yeah. of that stuff. I think it was just, he played it so perfectly. And then, you know, he does, he ends up being able to be a hero in some ways in the end yeah. as well. And I, I just thought it was perfect casting. Yeah. So, I mean, wonderful casting. And I guess the last person we probably... And we must talk about is the wonderful and the fantastic X twenty three Laura um, Daphne Keen and oh my gosh this girl one did you pick up on a little bit did she look at uh, at all like Jean to you um, like some of the fa- did you see it at all because I first saw her come on screen I was like she has a little bit of Jean in her like the face I mean it's not like that's her mother or anything I'm not saying yeah. it but it just like she just reminded me of the uh the woman who plays Jean in in the other films um Famic Jensen yes yeah uh you know what I didn't I did not get that at all but I can see it I can totally see it um she's got such a cute little face um murderous rampaging I know. face what a what a great little actress and she's only i don't know how old she is but man she had a lot of very difficult work to do in this film and uh she just did it didn't seem no. to have any problems with it uh and she really held her own next to Hugh Jackman when <laughs> when she's riding the horse and she's like shaking it, you know, <laughs> like about to put her claws into it. Yeah, I like, love that scene. One more ride. <laughs> and then my favorite uh, was when she's stealing all the stuff. Yes. You know, and the guy's like trying to take it away from her and he, she almost murders him and he comes in. He's like, not okay. Yeah. And I was listening to another podcast, uh, two guys, um, talk about this film and one of them has kids and one of them is only a couple of years younger than her. And he's like, you know, sometimes I, I swear that's all you can say to your kids. 
Yeah. Not okay. Yeah. You know, like what were you, what made you think that that was okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, the other thing I really love about this is I feel like this is the first time we've ever seen a real little girl character on screen, right? Because so often little girls are portrayed as like these sweet little innocent things that can never do anything wrong. And even when they do things wrong, it's still kind of cute and da da da. But little girls are like fierce and terrifying and scary. And Believe me, I had a sister, I know. Yeah, anyone that's actually been around a little girl knows that they will like scare the bejesus out of you with their fierceness and with their anger. And to see Daphne just totally going into that as um, as X-23, like seriously, what a great character for her to get to portray because she really got to just be crazy and let loose. And I'm sure it was so much fun for her. I, I mean, you know, carrying around a fake human head to throw at people. I know, you know right? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. What I liked about uh, the way that, that she played the character, too, like you were saying, she has this utter fierceness. But they brought in that whole idea from Charles, you know, about the lioness. Yes. And the pride, yeah. you know, and in the and the fierceness that female lions have and, and that she is very much like that. Mm-hmm. And so I mean it, it the, the the spectacle of her doing what she does in the movie is just phenomenal. Yeah. But I liked the smaller scenes that she had, especially when they have the conversation where she says, I've I've hurt people too. Yeah. And then she says but they were bad people. Yeah. And he says, but you still have to live with it. Yeah. And it just, it's this, the whole scene is just fantastic. And then, of course, how it ends where he's talking about, you know, you don't want to be near me. Bad S happens to people I care about. And she's like, well, then I'll be fine. And she walks away. And it's just, the whole thing and the way she plays it, every this this girl is phenomenal yeah. in this movie. And and obviously, if she hadn't have been, the movie would have sucked. Oh yeah. But it it's it's just beyond incredible. She is. I I, I hope to see her in more things. I hope so too, because this in was all the, the first. Things. Yeah, I would like to see her for sure in in more stuff. And I like that, you know, she gets to spend most of the time speaking Spanish <laughs> as well. I Yes, that was pretty funny it's, to watch her yell at him in Spanish. Yeah. He's like, he's like, what was this for the last 2,000 miles? And then she won't <laughs> shut up. He's like, shut up. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I don't think we get, I don't think we get to see enough people being, well, just being not white all the time, right? <laughs> it's nice to get some diversity in our cast here. Yeah, it was the and this this I liked that this movie had that, you know, I love that the you know, the the African American family that they visit in their farm and yeah. everything. I loved that whole family. I loved that scene with them. I loved uh, seeing Eric LaSalle again. Like yeah, come back, and he do was some great. more work, man. We miss you. He was great in the role, you know, that whole yeah. family. I love them, you know, it, and and the, that scene around the table was just phenomenal and so all in all, I mean, the cast in this movie is just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, I think the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on was this movie has a lot of what I coined, I didn't coin, but it just thought of the term true grit. Like this movie is just grit. Yeah. And it's it's not afraid uh, to deal with, you know, the fallout of the mutant population. It's violent. It kind of has this... Um, it obviously has the Western feel to it. You know, obviously Mangold loves his Westerns. The Shane has even played some in this movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, you get this feeling like that Wolverine is Shane, basically. Obviously, the, the parallel there is not hard to pick up on. Yeah. But, all, I mean, it has that feeling, but it also kind of had this Mad Max feel to it. When they're driving around in Mexico, I, mm-hmm. I kept thinking of Mad Max Fury Road. So, I don't know, maybe we could just do a new film called Mad Logan Fury Road. I'd watch it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, doesn't he fit in that world? Well, and you know what? That totally works too because that's all, that's Old Man Logan. And if you read the yes, comic, it because is. it's, it's him exactly and Hawkeye dri- driving mm-hmm. across the country in this crazy desert and it's so gross. Yeah, like the comic is totally Mad Logan Fury Road. So it's perfect that they had that in there. I like serious movies. I just personally, I enjoy serious movies. 
in this movie is very serious. It's not afraid to be dour and and everything with the subject matter that it's dealing with, with its characters, and yet it's full of humanity. Absolutely. And I, I think they pull it off well. And that grit, I think, is what makes this movie stand out, and it's what makes it special. And honestly, you know, I do think that it really is the R rating that allows them to do that. You know, I could have done without the flashing the boob scene. I mean, it's it's not really needed. I get why. I mean, I I kind of you know I get why it's there, and and but I mean that stuff is is not needed. But the rest of this, what yeah. they use the R rating for is to tell this ultra gritty Logan story. And and what I liked about it too is the way that it kind of references something that we talked about earlier, where Logan faces off against his past. And I feel like the violence is allowing us to experience all the things that Logan's been responsible for in the past, but without the veneer. Absolutely, yeah. They, they took off that PG-13 sheen um, and turned it into a real gritty film. And and honestly, again, uh, Mangold is one of the perfect people for this job because he can r- do a phenomenal Western. And that seriousness coupled with humanity to me is one of the cornerstones of the Western genre. Um, and that reluctant hero that's fighting against his nature and can't help himself but try and save the people around him, even if people around him get hurt because that's the nature of who he is. Um, So yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it needed this R rating to tell the story the way that it should have been told. And And I really like the way the movie ends with, and it's not Hurt playing by Johnny Cash. It's when the man comes around. And I love that the song ends with this basically Johnny Cash spiritual playing at the end of the movie because that's who Logan has become. You know, he's become that he's become and he is the hero that he always wanted to be. And he was able to use everything that he'd been given to make sure that his daughter and and those with her were be saved in the end and hopefully will be safe in the end. Yeah. And he's now just waiting for the man to come around, you know, pick him up, you know? And I love too, because I I like that the way at the the very end of the movie where, you know, they set up the cross at his grave and she looks at it and she puts it into the X. She fixes it. You know? And, and so that there's that symmetry of that. Both of those things apply to that character. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that he was one who was willing to die for others and he's also and and that was exactly what the X-Men were. Yeah. And that there's a correlation in that. And I think it, you know that's so powerful. What a message, you know, it, it it's oh, And that's who he it's was. It's just so it's just so freaking. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is who, who he, he was. was. Like he he battled his nature and and it's it's not that he overcame it uh, and and he yeah, fully became who he was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And who he was supposed to be was an X Man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I love it. I, I just I absolutely love it. And so I guess uh we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. What are we rating, Logan? Uh what do you think? Uh I'm giving it four and a half snips out of five. Pretty yeah. pretty darn, like pretty it. close to perfect. I don't know if I've ever rated a movie perfect. Have I done that? Listeners, I, you tell me. I don't know. But- <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, I... I have no complaints about this movie, though. Exactly. No, I'm right there with you. It's pretty darn uh, This movie... I, it's hard for me to say it's a five out of five, but I really do kind of feel that it's 4.75 out of five. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's so close to perfect. It really is. And I'm not just like heaping praise in the movie to heap praise on it. This movie, yes, it is 4.75 claws out of five because he can't get that last one to. Oh, know, I love get up. that. Just yeah, that was such when a he, neat little. Detail. He realizes that it's not all the way up, and he's like, because I noticed that right away. Like the first time he pops his claws, that one doesn't come out all the way, and I was like, oh man, he's in bad shape. 
And yeah, then, yeah, you know, is. like you see him trying to fix it. and Yeah. He's having performance issues. Yeah. Okay, give him a break. He's old. Yeah. Um, He's been alive since like, what, the Civil War? For so. a freaking long time, yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe you should just stuck with the bone claws. Um, they're, so, they're so freaking cool. They're so cool. Oh man, well I'm so glad that uh, this this movie has really kicked off the uh, the year well for the the superhero films. I mean, I thought it did last year with Batman v Superman, but I'm probably mm-hmm. in the minority with that. This movie has done it again. I'm so excited to to dive into some of the things we're going to be talking about down the road we've got you know things like guardians of the galaxy 2 coming out wonder woman looks fantastic i've heard nothing but rave reviews so far some things that people have seen some scenes of that already uh so that's great to hear uh you know so yeah we've got a fantastic year coming up here on the 602 club i think ken tripp and davis grayson for being associate producers here through patreon to make sure that's the case now, I wanted to say a quick word about Patreon. It's so important for us here at Trek FM. There's absolutely no way that we can do this without your help. And every little bit actually does help us a month. It costs quite a bit to do this. And when I say that, I want to give you a number. It's about twelve to $1,300 to run this network per month. The, the more people that listen, the more it costs because we pay by the download. So... We need you. We need your help. If you love the content here on Trek FM, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and just see how you can become part of the team. Join us. We've got some great perks for different levels of contribution. But again, like I said, every little bit helps every month. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. Megan, I am I am beyond ecstatic that we have gotten to do this Wolverine duology together. And wow, (laughs) let everybody know if they want to talk to you about this or anything else where they can find you online. Yeah, if you want to find me online, I am at Meg Calcote. That's M-E-G-C-A-L-C-O-T-E. And that's on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I hope you come and find me. We can have some fun geeky chats. And you should, because Megan is a joy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I am on Instagram at MRushing. I'm here on the network, of course, doing the orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. We hope to be back soon. So uh, keep all your fingers crossed and your prayers coming so we can get that show back on the air. Mm-hmm. Also, there on the Nerd Party Network talking about star wars with john mills and that show is called aggressive negotiations it's just a joy to do so i I hope you will check that out of course you can also find me doing outpost with drea kaufman where we're talking through each and every chapter of harry potter we're about midway through the first book it's been a joy to do that i'm loving it and Last but not least, you can find Star Wars The 602 Club collection as well. All of those are available in iTunes. I hope you'll check them out. Find them, review and rate them too if you have a chance. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In measured a hundredweight and penny pound When the man comes around And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts And I looked and behold a pale horse And his name that sat on him was Death And hell followed with him.